All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm your host, Heather Vale. Today I'm speaking with Stacy Lockhart, Executive Director of Hope Link of Southern Nevada, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary next month. Stacy is a seasoned nonprofit executive who has guided Hope Link through incredible growth since she came on board in 2019. Before that, she was Executive Director of The Shade Tree, where she spearheaded a shelter renovation and helped the organization become financially stable. Stacy, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. So for those who don't know, what kind of work exactly does HopeLink do? HopeLink focuses on homelessness prevention, first and foremost. And that means keeping people in their homes so they don't end up on the street or in a shelter. Um, secondly, we really focus on families and seniors and, you know, overarchingly providing hope to people in our community when they need it most. You know, people experience hard times and, and crisis in their households and in their life and sometimes don't know where to turn or, or how to address the situation and find resources and giving folks that, that hope and knowing that we're here to assist them is really that first step in, you know, changing everything for them moving forward. What exactly are the services and resources that you offer them to help keep them in their homes? We do rent assistance. We do utility assistance. During COVID, we also started doing mortgage assistance since that, um, you know, so many people were out of work. We have a food pantry. So that way, you know, if they need to put gas in their car to get to work, we can provide food to help alleviate some of that. We also do um, donation drives for household supplies. You know, we all need cans of Comet and Windex and laundry soap, all of those things that we just don't think about other people needing every day. We usually have them around our house. But when you run out of those, it can be quite expensive to, to go and restock and we don't want people making a choice, you know, are, are they going to put food on the table or are they going to do the laundry? That type of thing. Where people have been actually um, experiencing homelessness, we have funding so we can remove barriers. Uh, for instance, a lot of people don't know that if somebody has an overdue balance with the utility company, and it could be a bill that's owed, you know, over several years ago. Having that there, they will be denied a lease uh, for housing if that hmm. pops up. So we've gone out and raised money so we can pay off those overdue, past due um, accounts for folks. Because then they can actually qualify for a lease and be approved for housing. In some cases, we help with daycare. And we do a lot of referring um, and collaborating with other organizations in town. 
Dress for Success and United Way and the shelters and Unshakable. And we we do a lot, but we don't do absolutely everything. And, and when it does come to something that we don't do internally, we reach out to our, our partner agencies in the community to, to attract those um, additional resources to connect those for our clients. How prevalent is the homelessness situation in the Valley? You know, um, five years ago when I moved here, it was bad. And that's when, you know, all the conversations that work on the courtyard downtown was just starting. Our, our homeless issue is only growing. You know, I hope we don't end up looking like, you know, L.A. or Seattle. But this isn't the only place where it's growing. I mean, cities like Spokane, Washington and, and other smaller towns and cities are experiencing it as well. When you, you know, when you take inflation and, uh, you, you know, on top of COVID and, and the gas prices and lack of affordable housing inventory, it, it just compounds. And we are seeing an increase in, in the number of homeless. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that if we don't do something to help seniors subsidize their rents with the increases that are, are being um you know, kind of doled out, we're going to have seniors on the streets or in shelters. People are on fixed incomes and there's only so many options out there and not anywhere that they can move to. So the best option is for us as a community to help subsidize rents and keep people where they're at, because that buys time for us to work with them and come up with thoughtful solutions, sometimes even creative solutions that can help them avoid homelessness. Well, specifically in Las Vegas over the past few years, house prices have been rising astronomically. So I would assume it's getting harder to find that affordable housing. What are the best options for people who are looking for homes and just can't afford what they're finding out there? <laughs> that's that's a hard question for me to answer. You know, it is tough because there are families that are being priced out of the housing market. And what that means, if they can't afford to buy a house, then they're going to end up renting. And at the current rent prices, I don't know how anyone's supposed to pay that rent plus save money to put a down payment on a house. I think we're going to end up with a generation of people who are renters and, and don't get the opportunity to be buyers. But on the other hand, there are organizations and programs out there that are sponsored by you know, banks like Toyota Financial Savings uh, Bank or Bank of America, Nevada Neighborhood Services. There are some organizations out there that actually do have programs and, and I guess you could say incentives um, available to help people who really want to to buy that house. It's not going to get cheaper. We all know, you know, the interest rates are going up. But affordable housing, it's it's a search um, and it's very competitive in the market right now. If you if you want to buy a home, there's probably 10 other people ready to jump on that. Yeah. So, yeah, I would suggest to people, you know, if they truly are looking to to buy a home, um, a family home, that they should look into uh, resources in the community. Some of the, some of the um, either first-time home buyer programs 
and see what's available for them because that could open the door. And again, bring some incentives uh, that could help them qualify for that home. When it comes to our clients and, you know, families that were helping, you know, out of homelessness to become rehoused and get back on their feet, we actually go out in the community and build relationships with um, property managers and really steward and nurture those relationships. So our clients, you know, have properties that that we can always um, let them know when there's available units at. We're preferred, I guess you could say agency for many landlords in, in the community because we do really value those relationships and and, and take care of those properties, the, um, you know, the tenants, the landlords, but somebody would need to do what they call a chat. It's a housing assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's organizations in town who do those um, Catholic charities. We do them, the shelters do them. And you have to do that housing assessment. And then you are put onto a list, you're ranked and put onto a list and referred out to the nonprofits in the community who work with housing. So um, it's not like you can just walk through our doors and say, hi, I'm homeless and I need housing and, and that we can help. That somebody who does a housing assessment might be referred to us or they may be referred to another agency in the community. Mm-hmm. But the first step again is, is doing what we call um, a housing assessment so we can get the ball rolling. Okay, awesome. So a lot of what we've been talking about is the modern situation, you know, the the normal that we live in in 2022. 30 years ago, it was a little bit of a different world. What was it that prompted the founding of Hopelink in the first place? You know, I, I don't think it matters what year and time it is. Since the beginning of time, there have been people who have been in better situations than others. There, there's always been people in every community that has needed some assistance. And, you know, you look at, you know, the definition of, of a tribe, a village, you know, we all have to look out for each other. And when we have the ability and the resources to help somebody else who is not as fortunate or, or is struggling in one way or another, I think we owe it to humanity and, and to each other to do that. And and that's exactly what happened. You know, as the story goes, you know, our founders would, you know, see some people on the street in Boulder City and Henderson, and they just had giving hearts. And they would stop and talk to them to see what was going on. And they started actually carrying some clothing and some different resources in the trunk of the car. So that way, when they did see somebody, they could pull over, they could talk to them, they could give them a couple sandwiches, they could provide them with some clothing and, and, and some different resources to help them out. And it really just grew from there. That's great. How can members of the community help you out with your mission? There's a place for everybody in this community within Hope Link, whether it is volunteering time, whether it's you know, providing financial resources, whether it's in-kind services and goods that can help, whether it's serving in a leadership role um, on our board of directors, helping with a fundraising event and planning of, of that, community activities like our back-to-school drive companies could be 
doing a drive and collecting back to school supplies. They could be doing a toy drive and collecting toys for our Christmas program. There's just a ton of ways. If people go to our website, which is link the number two hope.org, there's a volunteer form and there's some different areas that we've identified. People can look and they can kind of pick and choose areas they might want to volunteer in. And you know what? If people know somebody who they think can help, I always say to people, some of the some of the most helpful people are people who can make introductions and open other doors for us to people that they think, you know, our mission will resonate with them or that they may be in a particular business that could really help us. We're looking to meet more landlords, work with more property managers, because housing is such an issue right now. We're looking for inventory. We've got families with four and five kids. You know, you really can't stick them in a one-bedroom apartment. We want our families to be in homes and to feel like where they live is a home, not just a temporary shelter. So there's absolutely tons of ways. People can do fun drives. They can do events. They can lend their expertise. I always laugh because just like me and technology, boy, I'll tell you what, when I meet somebody who's computer smart, (laughs) whenever I get stuck on something, I reach out to them. I'm like, I don't get it. How do I fix this? I mean, (laughs) all of those little things make a huge difference to us and in our ability to really focus and stay mission centric, which means, you know, putting our time and effort into making sure that we're, we're concentrating on providing the support to the community, first and foremost, that we can. Okay, so speaking of fundraising events, tell us more about the 30th anniversary celebration coming up on June 2nd. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited. You know, it's, it's been 30 years. And for an organization, especially a nonprofit, that's a huge milestone. What most people don't realize is the majority of nonprofits don't make it past five years in the U.S. So when an organization has been around for for 25, 30 years or longer, that's a huge accomplishment. And it speaks a lot to the people that are involved in the organization from the community as well as the staff to run an organization and, and be sound. So our anniversary celebration is at the M Resort on Thursday, June 2nd. And it's not what you think of a typical nonprofit gala, not seated dinners and and, and chicken and fish and and things like that. This is truly an anniversary party. It's a celebration. We want the community to come out, spend the evening with us, having a great time and help us celebrate this milestone. And we want to celebrate it with the community because we would have never got here without the community standing by our side, helping us do the work we do and um, providing the resources needed to do it. So it's heavy hors d'oeuvres. There's a wine pole and a liquor bottle ring toss. (laughs) There's silent auction. We have a handful of live auction items. And I mean, seriously, just a handful. But things like whiskey tasting in Ireland, you know, Lake Tahoe, skiing in Banff you know, a golden night suite for a preseason game. And then Chicks Who Rock, um, which are some of the most talented ladies up and down the strip. They are opening our evening for us with a Motown tribute. And then um, after a brief program, 
where we'll be recognizing five of our wonderful community partners and philanthropists that support us. Frankie Perez is bringing his band and he's going to bring the house down and be our headliner entertainment for the night. Um, We're going to have the dance floor out. And, and again, people, you know, they ask if it's a fundraiser and I said, well, yeah, we're going to raise some money, but more than that, it's what I like to call a friend raiser. This is about bringing everybody together for a great evening to feel really good about their engagement and the role they've played in the last 30 years of hopefully doing our work in the community. And I want everyone to go home saying, wow, that was that was the best party since, you know, before COVID hit. I think we're all ready to get out and have a great time and be together. And so why not come celebrate Hope Link's 30th? Yeah, absolutely. So besides the 30th anniversary party, what other events and initiatives has Hope Link been working on this year during your 30th anniversary? You know, I am glad you asked that, Heather. It's, it's been a year. It's been, a, um, I had an idea a year ago and my board chair and I, you know, kind of talked about it. Wouldn't it be cool to publish a book sharing 30 stories in honor of the 30th anniversary? And Mm. so for the last year now, we have been working on exactly that. And we're getting ready to go to printing. We are publishing our book called Stories of Hope. And in that book, we are featuring what we say 30 faces and stories. So clients, current clients and former clients and and, and a few staff and people in the community that are doing inspiring work. But almost everybody in this book has at one time or another had something happen to them, you know, really had to overcome, find that hope that might've been missing and has really overcome so far. I mean, I can't wait for, for the public to read these, these 30 different stories, because it truly brings home what, what HopeLink is all about. And I don't think nonprofits do a, a good enough job in storytelling. We do a good job in sharing our mission and our vision, talking about maybe our programs, but, but we don't do a good job in sharing the faces and the stories of the people that we've been able to help and how that has really changed the trajectory of their lives. So that's what this book is really all about. And I'm just so proud of it. I was um, doing some editing yesterday. We divided up. We've been going through and doing editing on the stories and stuff. And each story I read, I mean, some of them will bring tears to your eyes, but it's just an amazing collection like I said, of of these 30 stories and something everybody should read. So that will be, it's going to be printed. My goal is that we will have them available at our 30th anniversary event as kind of an unveiling. And and who knows, maybe we'll go out on a book tour. Speaking of the stories and, you know, the fact that normally people don't get to hear these inspiring stories, can you share one, your one favorite success story that you've seen through HopeLink or that was featured in the book? You know, I can. And, oh gosh, there's actually like two of them. But the first one (laughs) 
the the individual actually now happens to be a Hope Link employee. Wow. About eight years ago, eight to 10 years ago, our, our director of housing, she was married, four little kids, was in an abusive relationship. And, and, and there'd been that kind of domestic violence and abuse in her family as she was growing up. And, and, and that's just what she knew. But in her marriage, she did realize that it wasn't right. She feared for her kids. And, you know, it actually got up the courage to flee. She ended up staying at Safe House out here um, with her children for about six months. But through Safe House, because they collaborate with HopeLink, um, she was connected to us so we could help her find the permanent housing. She ended up being hired by HopeLink as our intake specialist, kind of slash receptionist. You know, she went on to get her degree. She's worked very hard. She now owns her own home. Um, her children are doing well. And seven years later, she is the director of all of Hope Link's housing programs. That's amazing. I, I mean, it's just an amazing story What, where she was and, and, and where she is now. And, and she put in a lot of hard work and effort. But, you know, there were good people, um, organizations, you know, and the people at Safe House and here at Hope Link to help her along the way so she could accomplish those goals. Yeah, that's so inspiring. That's a great story. And I'm curious, of course, what was the second one that you said? You said this too. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it's, it's a direct impact from COVID. You know, we all know all of a sudden, you know, COVID hit, boom, everything was closed. And the impact that it had on small business. So Angela Peppy, who owns Curly Top Baker, her industrial kitchen, cookie kitchens up in Anthem Village. She and I became acquainted, became friends, you know, and, and she's very philanthropic. She loves, you know, doing cookies. She used to do cookies and go pass them out to homeless. So they knew somebody actually cared about them. Uh-huh. So she got involved with Hope Link. But when COVID hit, her husband, who had a really good job with a major hotel chain, Um, had been there for years in a senior position, lost his job permanently. She, of course, is, you know, getting her business up and growing. And his job, you know, kind of helped fund her startup. She had had convention contracts. She had casino contracts. She was on her way to a finalizing contract with some major sports organizations, um, getting into Allegiant Stadium, and COVID hit. So, of course, nobody's buying cookies. She's trying to pay her the rent on, on her business, you know, kitchen. They're mm-hmm. trying to make the mortgage on their house, kids at home, and they really started struggling. And I, I had told her, you know, I said, we have money. We can do mortgage assistance. We can help with utilities, you know. I said, why don't you call us and see if we can help you? You know, people have a lot of pride and it's hard to get up the courage to ask for help. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. I think that's hard for all of us. If you're used to doing for yourself and not asking people for help, it's hard to admit it when you really do need help and then to voice that. But, you know, I encourage them to. They finally called Hope Link, talked to a case manager here, and, you know, they did qualify and they were approved. 
So we were able to help them with mortgage payments and with utilities and some other things, you know, while they were, you know, working to kind of get through COVID still. So they didn't have to try and sell their house or, you know, give up her business for the, the funds that they did have. She could keep trying to pay her, her kitchen rent. So she could, you know, hopefully ramp back up as things reopened. Of course, you know, things are open again now. And, you know, because she's stuck in there and, and because, you know, Hope Link was here to kind of help them weather that storm, she's backed up, she's in business and she's busier than ever. She's in Sam's clubs now. Wow. She's shipping pallets full um, across the country for things. And she almost can't find enough employees to keep up with production. So that I think is amazing. If we hadn't have been here and, and had that funding available to help them with those mortgage payments and some of the other things they needed, she may not be in business today. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Okay, so how can people buy tickets to the 30th anniversary party or if they just want to make a donation or find out about volunteering or just get more information? I, I would say go to our website and it's L-I-N-K, the number two, H-O-P-E dot O-R-G. So link to hope.org. The 30th anniversaries tab is there. They can click on that. You can see all the details about the upcoming event. Um, there's a link for tickets. There's even a link. The M Resort is doing a 20% discount for our celebration guests. So if somebody wants to make a staycation out of it, come out for our event, spend the night, the reservation code and phone numbers on there so they can take advantage of that discount. People can reach out to me. Uh, my, my email, Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, at link2hope.org. Anytime can send me an email. If I'm the appropriate person, I'm happy to have a conversation about whatever it is. If I'm not, I can get um, people connected with other directors within HopeLink, uh, depending on if it's a landlord that says, hey, I have available units and I'd love to talk to you guys and see if we could work together. You know, I'll connect you with our housing, um, our housing team. Volunteering, there's a volunteer form um, on our website as well. Or you can shoot me an email. We're really easy to get a hold of. Our office number is 702-566-0576. Um, and again, and that's 702-566-0576. You know what? Give me a call. But that's also the number. If, if you're listening and maybe you need some assistance, or you know someone who might need some assistance, give them that phone number and encourage them to give us a call because they're never going to know if we could have helped them if they don't call. And let us ask them a few questions so we can help assess what the situation is. You'll be surprised how many people were, were actually able to assist and, and you don't know if you don't ask. So we're on Facebook, Hope Link of Southern Nevada. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, again, just look for Hope Link of Southern Nevada. I, I hope your listeners will find us on our social sites, you, you know, follow us, like us, 
We're very active in social media. And so it's a great way to stay up to date with all the wonderful things that are taking place with HopeLink um, daily. Okay, awesome. So once again, link to hope.org. That's link, the number two, hope.org. Whether you're looking for services or whether you want to help out with HopeLink, either by donating, by volunteering, buying tickets to the 30th anniversary friend raising party, as Stacy calls it, all of that's at linktohope.org, or you can give them a call at 702-566-0576. And the party's happening on Thursday, June 2nd at the M Resort. And again, linktohope.org is where you find the tickets for that as well. Stacy, I want to thank you so much for taking your time being here with us and sharing the success stories, letting people know what resources are available out there. It's been really enlightening and inspiring. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, like I said, Heather, if we don't tell our story, people don't know. So I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, come on today and share a little bit of our story. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with that statement. Thank you so much, Heather. HopeLink of Southern Nevada is celebrating 30 years of preventing homelessness, underemployment, and assisting underserved Las Vegas Valley families with a 30th anniversary party on June 2nd at the M Resort Spa Casino. For more information on HopeLink, ways to volunteer, or to purchase tickets, visit www.link2hope.org. Again, that's www.link2hope.org. Welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and joining me today is Louise Helton, a local energy activist and entrepreneur. Louise is the founder and VP of One Sun Solar Electric. She has also advocated for sustainability legislation at the federal and state levels, including net metering, green banking, and the PACE bill, which stands for Property Assessed Clean Energy. Louise is going to tell us how government investments that cut pollution, create jobs, and boost the economy can benefit you now and in the future. Louise, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's, uh, it's certainly my pleasure. My goodness. So what's the climate change legislation that you're hoping the Senate will pass before Memorial Day? Well, it's, it's chock full of some opportunities for customers of folks who want to get solar to actually receive some incentives through tax credits for doing so. And these are for commercial properties or for residential properties. There's also a whole host of other things that have to do with the EV charging. So it's just a, it's, it's really packed full of great opportunities to help us move from fossil fuels on an individual basis, which I think is the one that benefits individuals the most. And why would Senate not want to pass this bill? Well, it always puzzles me because to me, it seems really obvious. You look back through history and you look at, you know, our country's relationship with fossil fuels and international politics. Mm -hmm. And you go back to the 70s where we had the oil embargo and the big problems that we had when we had all of the long lines at the pump and price hikes then. And it's just, that seems to be where it started and it's just continued. 
And we seem to be placing so much power into the hands of people who don't have our best interests at heart. And it's gotten us to where we are today, um, where we are facing this severe inflation. And it's primarily being fueled, pardon the pun, (laughs) by the high price of gas right now and fuel. That goes into every single product that we buy, every single thing that anyone is, is uh, whether it's your groceries or whether it's your day-to-day commute to your office, everything is going to be more expensive just because of gasoline and fossil fuel prices. So we've gone through this so many times and it's like, finally, I hope people have wised up and realized that we can do something about it. And this time we must do something about it. We have this prime opportunity with this legislation to really do a slam dunk once and for all, to really give people more power to be either their own energy creators or to at least power their vehicles by clean energy and to get away from being so dependent on oil and gas. I think everybody's realizing right now just how much money the gas companies are making. I mean, all of them are posting record profits, and there's a reason for that. And we are the ones who are paying all of that money into their coffers. And we do have a choice. And this legislation will help us exercise that opportunity with every individual being able to purchase solar or something like that for their home so that they can reduce their demand on fossil fuels. And then we have the benefit of having cleaner air. It's our only chance to fight things like the terrible wildfires that are going on right now in New Mexico. That's just the canary in the coal mine for what we're dealing with with the climate. And I think all of us are very aware of how the fire seasons are starting earlier and stretching through later and practically becoming a 12-month-a-year season. So (laughs) other than that... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when you talk about the profitability of the oil industry and the power of the oil industry, it almost seems like people that are making a lot of money off this, what's their incentive to let us have more green energy and more access to different types of energy and different types of vehicles? Right. It is. They are not incentivized to help us. They're absolutely, it's the opposite. <laughs> I think that, you know, the, the arc is going to be that we'll end up doing away with fossil fuels, but it's just a question of time. And they're obviously trying to stretch that time out as much as possible so that they can have the profits and the benefits of doing that. And it's going to come at the expense of everything else. I can tell you having a solar company One of the first things I learned back in 2007, when we started the company, it seemed like such a great idea. And how could this be difficult? It's such an important thing to do. It had so much wonderful support in the world. People wanted solar for their homes. How could that possibly be a difficult business to create? Mm -hmm. And you quickly learned that number one, it is a nascent industry, but it's also a disruptive technology. And it disrupts the plans of people who do have all the power. And we've been bucking that power, fighting the big utility companies for years now. And they have so much power and so much ability 
to get their way. When you look at how many of the lobbyists in Washington, D.C. and all the state capitals in the country, they have tons of lobbyists and attorneys from all these oil companies and utility companies who are pushing and prodding and trying to get their way. It's very difficult for us as a new industry, mostly made up of small companies, to fight that. And the only way we've been able to do it is through wonderful organizations like the Climate Action Program, like there's several organizations that are absolutely, that's, that is their mission in life. We have a wonderful organization called the Nevada Conservation League here in, in Las Vegas, and they work very hard uh, organizing people throughout the state so that we can have collective voice demanding that things change. And it's only through those collective voices that we are going to be able to be effective and have the impact that we need. It makes a difference when somebody knocks at your door and asks you as an individual for your vote. And you can tell them, well, I would love to give you your vote, but I want to know how you feel about climate, or I want to know how you feel about alternative energy. When you say those things to people who are looking for your vote, it has an impact. It certainly has here in my experience. And the reason that we've been successful in so many things here in Nevada is strictly because the individual people and the individual voters have demanded it. And here in Nevada, it totally makes sense. I mean, we have more than 300 days a year of sunshine. Why would we not have solar? In my opinion, every house in Nevada should have solar. But, you know, what we're talking about here is a legislation that would bring $550 billion worth of climate investments that the House has already passed. Now it's the Senate's turn. If they do pass it, what criteria are involved in that that would allow more people to actually live my dream of, of every house having, <laughs> having solar power? <laughs> well, and it, it is the tax credits and the tax credits are due to sunset. And those tax credits have been critical in allowing people to, to fulfill their solar aspirations. I can tell you that when we first started this company in the, for the first 10 or 12 years, we had the benefit of having a tax credit that was 30% of the cost of the entire system, you would receive a tax credit. And a lot of people aren't familiar with tax credits, and I'm certainly not an accountant, but I was familiar with tax deductions. And those are things that as you uh, do your taxes at the end of the year, you're making calculations within your tax schedule. Mm -hmm. And those are tax deductions. The tax credit is a wonderful opportunity and very straightforward where you go to the end of your tax reporting, you see how much you owe, and the credit comes directly off of that bottom line. So for example, let's just say you put in a solar system that gave you a $5,000 tax credit. At the end of the year, you owe $5,000 in taxes. You can take that $5,000 tax credit, subtract it right off of that bottom line, and you would owe nothing. Hmm. So that's how powerful that tax credit opportunity is. And the nice thing is, if you can't deduct all of it in one year, because maybe you don't owe that much, you can roll this tax credit over for five years. 
Now, over time, that tax credit has reduced. Right now, it's down to 26%. Next year, for commercial customers, it's actually going to 22%. After that, it's actually going to disappear. And so all of these things need to be extended. They need to be fortified because those are the things that really have made it possible for so many people to have solar up to now. And we want more and more people to have the opportunity going forward as well. And you also mentioned the electric vehicles, and I know that they have been becoming more and more affordable over the past year or two. Like, it's no longer 10 years ago when buying an electric vehicle meant an astronomical amount of money. And not only that, but the network, the charging network across the country is growing and it's becoming more convenient and more practical to own an electric vehicle. If the legislation passes, what benefits would there be that would help people get an electric vehicle? Well, the thing that has been really helpful is uh, is some of the rebates that people have received. And those rebates have really lost a lot of support. But the other thing that's really important is getting opportunities to have more charging stations available, especially for low-income families you know, who live in apartment buildings that may not have electric vehicle charging. So even if you had an electric vehicle, you would have no place to plug it in. We need to expand our network and make more opportunities available, you know, through different government programs to have those charging stations available. So the support for installing those and making credits available and rebates available for entities to do that, it's all very important. Okay, so if people are listening and they're thinking, I want affordable solar for my house and I want affordable electric vehicles that I can drive. What can they do to help? They really need to call their elected officials. It doesn't take anything to do that. You would be amazed at how well you'll be received when you make that phone call to your congressperson, your United States senator, because right now that's where the action is. It's at the national level. So you're never more powerful than when you can be someone's constituent and call them and say, this is what I want you to do. I want to make sure I can count on you because you are my representative and this is my wish. And so making those phone calls to your both of your United States senators and your Congress people gives them the strength to know that this that they're doing the right thing when they vote to support these measures. That's what they're there for. That's what we elect people to Congress to do is to represent us and to do what we want them to do. And unless they're very, very clear on what we want, sometimes they're led astray and, and some of the special interests bend their ear instead. But the more people who will let their voices be heard just by a phone call or an email or writing a letter, that has more power than people can possibly realize. And the more letters that they get, the more power they see is behind that movement. And then the more likely they are to support it. And it's always good to call and see where your legislative representative or your congressional representatives, how are they standing on these issues? Because that's the one way you'll know is, well, are you going to vote for this or not? 
And if they're choosing not to support these initiatives that are so important, then obviously we have the wrong people in office and something has to be done at the ballot box. Where can people find the contact information for the members of Congress and the senators that represent Nevada? The thing that's been the easiest for me whenever I've wanted to do it is you can just Google it. And usually you'll be taken to a place where you know, you're just saying, who's my congressman? And they ask for your address and the information comes up and then it's very easy to find. The thing that's really wonderful in our state is just how open they are our wonderful Congress people are and our United States senators are, they're so open to talking to their constituents and they have specially trained people to who, in their constituent services who welcome these calls. So you would not be a bother and you would not be interfering or interrupting anything. You are the people who are out here listening. They are the ones, it's you people who have the power here, who they want to hear from. They want to know how you feel about these things. Okay, and what's the best place where people can find out more about what's on the table with the climate legislation or find out about green energy initiatives in general? I would say that they can look on the website of the Climate Action Program or the Environmental Defense Fund Action. There's a a number of places. They can also call and ask their congresspeople directly to see more information about the bills, because that's also their job is to help explain things to constituents about what's happening as far as complicated legislation is concerned. Okay, awesome. Louise, thank you so much for being here and bringing these issues to the public's attention, because I know that probably not everybody listening was aware of what's on the table and how important it is. Is there any final words that you want to leave them with? Just that listening is great, but action is going to be what this is going to take. I mean, think of all the things that are happening in Europe. We would never want to get ourselves in this situation. And it's only by taking action now that we can avoid it. So I would definitely say, please, after you turn off the radio, go and pick up your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good plan to me. Again, thank you so much, Louise. I really appreciate you being here and letting people know more about what's going on. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm Julian Hyde, President and CEO of United Way of Southern Nevada, inviting you to join me and Chet Buchanan to tee off for a good cause at our 65th anniversary Golf United Tournament on Thursday, May 26th at the Revere Golf Club. Together, we will celebrate 65 years of serving the Southern Nevada community and honor the legends and leaders who are trailblazing the path for future generations. Buy your tickets today at uwsn.org Welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and today I'm speaking with Charles J. Fischillo, Jr., President and CEO of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, or AFA. May is Older Americans Month, and the Alzheimer's Foundation of America is offering free virtual memory screenings to help you be proactive about your brain health. Charles, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks so much for having me on. How prevalent is Alzheimer's in America? More than 6.2 million people are currently living with Alzheimer's disease. And that number is expected to triple by 2050 without any cure or significant um, treatment. You know, in the state of Nevada, there's nearly 50,000 people currently living with Alzheimer's disease. And by 2025, that number is expected to increase to 64,000 people. 
So think about, you know, 50,000 people times three or four as a caregiving team. You can Mm -hmm. see the impact and how prevalent it is in your own state. Why are the numbers expected to go up so drastically? There's no cure. It's, It's the only one in the top 10 causes of death in this country without a cure. There hasn't been any significant uh, improvements in research with respect to new medication in the last 20, 25 years, better diagnosis, better awareness of the disease as well. What are some of the early warning signs of Alzheimer's? Memory loss, confusion about time and place, forgetting of uh, recent names, difficult in judging current situations and changes in moods and personality. And most times that we, you know, families experience this of a loved one or a friend, they're in denial and they'll say, oh, he or she is just getting older. You know, that's discouraging because we always encourage people that once you notice these signs, these warning signs, address it immediately because not every memory loss or is, is attributed to Alzheimer's disease. An individual can have a vitamin deficiency, a thyroid issue, sleep apnea, or even suffer from depression. All are treatable, if not curable, but you won't know unless you have it all checked out. So what should people do if they suspect that they or a loved one might have Alzheimer's? Well, two things. First, contact your primary care physician immediately or call the Alzheimer's Foundation of America and schedule a memory screening. It's free. It's virtual. It's a series of questions. We like to call it a checkup from the neck up. Hmm. And this is a perfect month to be aware of that. What are some of the things that people can do to keep their brains healthy longer? You know, that's, that's a great question. And we always encourage people to stay active, stay socially active, stay engaged, experience new things in life. You know, read a book, uh, take up ballroom dancing, because uh, you need to learn uh, every step from head to toe. Uh, don't smoke, limit your alcohol consumption, get plenty of sleep, eat well. You know, these are things and exercise a minimum of 30 minutes a day. When I say exercise, it could be a matter of walking as well. And, and these are things we've learned as kids back in elementary school. When you took a gym class, they would say the same thing. It's, it's important you carry this throughout your life as well. So this is Older Americans Month. What age does Alzheimer's usually set in? So Alzheimer's disease is not a normal progression of aging. Uh, We deal with families whose loved ones are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, There's no discrimination with this disease. So we think of it as being an older person's disease, but that's not necessarily the case. That's correct. And as I said, you know, we've had individuals that have been in their early 30s and 40s that have had early onset Alzheimer's disease. And, um, you know, it's uh, all the way up to people in their 90s. So we always encourage people to choose a healthy lifestyle. Why was the AFA founded in the first place? So we were founded 20 years ago. This is our 20th year, our our anniversary, by a caregiver who many years ago in the 80s and 90s was caring for his mom who had Alzheimer's disease. But at that time, uh, there was a very large stigma attached to Alzheimer's disease. Nobody talked about it. And there were very little services for him to call and apply. So when his mother passed away, he really thought long and hard, what can I do to ensure that nobody goes on this journey alone. And that's why AFA was founded, to provide the guidance, counseling, and support. And today, 20 years later, we're a national organization with nearly 2,000 member offices in every state throughout the entire country. We have a a seven-day-a-week helpline that's staffed by licensed social workers that are dementia-specifically trained. 
and we provide educational opportunities, initiatives, just to ensure that care, education, and research is a core model of AFA. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the free memory screenings that you offer. What's involved in getting one of those? So all I need to do is call our office, call the Alzheimer's Foundation of America at 866-232-8484 and just sign up for a free virtual screening. It takes 10 to 15 minutes of your time. It's not invasive. And it's a series of questions that people will be asked that, you know, um, I can't tell you the questions because it's almost like giving you a lead of what to ask for, but you will receive a, a score. You know, there's a baseline if you score above it. You know, we'll, we'll tell you, you know, call us again in six months and we'll give you certain recommendations to continually leading to a healthy lifestyle. If you score below the baseline, we'll make other recommendations to you as well. Okay. And where can people go to find out more about the Alzheimer's Foundation of America and the other services you offer as well as the memory screening? So they can just go to our website, which is alzfdn.org, or again, call the office. And the office number is the same as the helpline. It's 866-232-8484. And through our website, there's a chat icon. You could chat with us as well in, in 90 different languages. Wow. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. We wanted to make sure that language is not a barrier for seeking help. And it's, it's a great system that is used widely. Okay. So once again, the website is alzfdn.org, alzfdn.org, or you can call them directly at 866-232-8484. You can request the free memory screening, which takes about 10 to 15 minutes of your time. It's available to all ages as well. Or you can find out more about what the Alzheimer's Foundation of America does while you're there. Charles, I want to thank you so much for being here today and talking to us about this issue and the free memory screening that, of course, everyone should have done if there's even a small chance that they might have something going on. So I'm really glad that you brought this to our attention and let people know about the free service as well as the other things that you do. So thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me on. May is Older Americans Month, and the Alzheimer's Foundation of America wants you to be proactive about your brain health by getting a memory screening. The Alzheimer's Foundation of America offers free virtual memory screenings, which take just a few minutes and are open to everyone, regardless of age or insurance status. Schedule your free memory screening by contacting the Alzheimer's Foundation of America at 866-232-8484 or www.alzfdn.org. That's 866-232-8484 or alzfdn.org. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. May is Older Americans Month, and the Alzheimer's Foundation of America invites you to have a free virtual memory screening. These take just a few minutes and are open to all ages. Find out more or schedule your free memory screening at alzfdn.org. Monday's Dark is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising 10 k for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include Monday, May 23rd at 8 p.m., benefiting Operation Homefront, Monday, June 6th at 8 p.m., benefiting the Vegas Casino Canine Foundation, and Monday, June 20th at 8 p.m., benefiting NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Southern Nevada. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. 
The United Way of Southern Nevada is hosting their 65th anniversary Golf United Tournament on Thursday, May 26th at the Revere Golf Club. Join Chet Buchanan and UWSN President and CEO Julian High to honor the legends and leaders trailblazing the path for future generations. Buy your tickets or find out more at uwsn.org golf. Hope Link of Southern Nevada is celebrating 30 years of preventing homelessness, underemployment, and assisting underserved Las Vegas Valley families. Their 30th anniversary party will be on Thursday, June 2nd at the M Resort Spa Casino. The VIP reception is at 5.30 p.m. and general admission at 6.30 p.m. To purchase tickets or get more information on Hope Link, including ways to volunteer, visit linktohope.org. That's link, the number two, hope.org. Ken Klein's Still Life Art Exhibit is showing through July 5th at the West Charleston Library, located on the CSN campus between Jones and Torrey Pines. Enjoy this local artist's hyper-realistic oil paintings featuring historical pop culture subjects. Proceeds from art sales are being donated to charity. The Nevada Wheelchair Foundation is giving out free wheelchairs to those who need them and can't afford them. To request a wheelchair or help with the mission, visit NevadaWheelchairFoundation.org. Baseball season is heating up. Odyssey has you covered with the most entertaining coverage of your team. Stay locked in and in the know with the local voices you trust as they bring you unfiltered takes, recap games, react to the latest team news, and talk to callers. Listen to your favorite shows for free on the Odyssey app, odyssey.com, your smart speaker, or in the car with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. 